The inflation continues. The third company ever hits a $2 trillion market cap. Oil is the highest it's been in over two and a half years. Home prices just rose at the fastest they've ever risen uh, in the past 17 years. Uh, And of course, the stock market continues to hit all-time highs as evidenced by the S&P 500. I am Nick Hodge. This is episode 124 of Bizarro World. And guess what? It's just me. No Gerardo. So it's not going to be as, uh, frankly, upbeat and uh, cheery. And there's not going to be the uh, back and forth that uh, we have that makes this podcast so special. And a bit of context recording this on the morning of uh, July 4th. So uh, happy Independence Day to all our American friends out there. And last week was, of course, uh, Canada Day. So happy Canada Day to all my and our friends to the north. I was going to run through, um, you know, some of the news stories of the past week and uh, poke fun at some of the things that are going on and uh, ramble a little bit. And as I started to make a list, I decided to change gears. There's, um, you know, always a uh, a story of the week to point to. We're living, of course, in a fourth turning and a, a bizarre world. And I could talk to you thing about things like, you know, uh, the large pork producers like Smithfield having to pay 80 some million dollars to settle a, a pork fixing scandal that is, you know, continued evidence of corporatism and oligopoly in this country. Or I could talk to you about uh, the new fad or trend of Uh, viral animal videos where there's seemingly an animal in danger, uh, which is then uh, rescued. A couple of examples I've seen is, um, you know, like an animal stuck in a tree or has its paw trapped and is then, you know, freed by someone who seemingly stumbles upon the scene randomly. Or there was another one where uh, a python was, you know, about to eat a small monkey and um, again, a person stumbles on the scene and, and saves the small monkey. And, you know, we're starting to learn that these um, viral videos like the pork pre- prices I just mentioned and so much else uh, in society these days is fake. The viral animal videos are being staged, of course. Uh, you don't stumble upon scenes like that with uh, the regularity. We've been seeing them um, in the wild, of course, and uh, certainly not with high-definition video equipment uh, readily at your disposal. So we're learning that people are acquiring these animals uh, for the sole purpose of staging these uh, rescue videos to film them to get the clicks on YouTube to sell the ads. So uh, certainly is a bizarre world out there. And a lot of that stuff, again, is just um, noise. It's fun to talk about and uh, to, to poke fun at. But I would caution against you know, getting caught up in 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 that sort of stuff and spending too much time on it, and uh, uh, you know that goes to the to the politics and and some of the things in in finance as well. You know, there's a, a whole woke movement that we're going through that we talk about from time to time, both uh, the good and bad of it. And you know, there's all sorts of stuff out there that I see that is just sort of. Uh, crazy and and just seems to be, you know, taking up time and space for no other purpose than to be taking up time and space. I'll give you one more uh, dumb story I saw recently, and then we'll move on to more important things. Like I saw there was a, I call it a movement, but it was probably really just one guy who 
um, decided to, you know, write an article or do a quote unquote study about the value of all the, the street space in the world. And he was saying that, um, you know, when we went into lockdown over the pandemic, that um, a lot of street space went unused and was repurposed to have, you know, outdoor seating for restaurants and um, out, outdoor whatever stages or scenes for, you know, people to gather where they weren't inside. And so he was saying that there should be, you know, permanently more of that. And that all the, the space that's dedicated to automobiles doesn't get priced into the system somehow. And so he was trying to calculate all the square footage of the wo- the world's roads that are used by cars and then trying to, you know, put a value on that, that should then be, um, you know, I guess paid in, in, tax or some other way by automobile owners uh, because they're the ones who use the road and it doesn't otherwise get compensated into the system in another way. You know, that's just all, for lack of a better word, bull fucking shit. It's like, why spend any time on on that? How does that improve your day or, uh, you know, really society as a whole going forward? Certainly not your uh, individual bottom line as, as I see it. And so, um, you know, in my younger days, I spent a lot of time being uh, zealoted about things like that, certainly, you know, about the system and the way things were. And I think that's traditional, um, you know, in, in, in before you come of age and as you come of age, wanting to change the system or fix the system or being jaded with the system. And then ultimately, you know, realizing that you you can't individually. Um, and I spent a lot of time, you know, writing about and um chronicling some of those injustices and and how I saw it, founded a whole newsletter division about it called Outsider Club. And that really resonates with people, but it's not at the end of the day uh, what I came to learn in investment strategy, right? It's good to do fear-based marketing. And, um, you know, there's a reason that uh, bad news gets a better open rate in in an email environment than good news. It's because, you know, people are hardwired to, uh, flee danger from, you know, caveman days when the saber-toothed tiger was coming. And so uh, we tend to, to run from uh, bad news when it's presented to us. Um, and so that's good to, to market newsletters, you know, write about things like fear, um, you know, the sky is falling in the market or, you know, whatever the uh, narrative is. But you got to be cautious not to get too ingrained or too caught up in that way of thinking or those ways of thinking. And um, I guess see the market more uh, broadly and and be thinking about it more in terms of how you can be independent from it, uh, profit and profit and be secure, I guess, in spite of it, because railing against things, whatever they are, corporatism, oligopoly, the tech monopolies, wealth inequality, uh, money printing by the Fed, uh, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, that doesn't uh, do you uh, any good if you are taking action to uh, transpose what's going on in the world into your bottom line. And the best way I found to do that over the years, and I think others are starting to figure this out in some capacity, and I'll talk about it as we uh, get into this podcast, is to be independent, uh, happy Independence Day again, and to own things. Uh, Those things can be businesses. Those things can be houses. Those things can be stocks. Uh, As long as you are owning assets, it's the uh, path to success. So let's get into the market. Here we are. It's the first week of uh, July. It's a good place to recap the first six months of uh, 2020. Half the year is 
uh, gone. Let's, I guess, take a step back and see where we are. Energy was the uh, best performing sector of the year. Energy stocks, as evidenced by a uh, sector of the S&P, uh, is up 44% year to date. So if you're a student of the market, you'll take note of that because, you know, 44% upside in six months is quite a lot. You know, average upside for the entire market over a uh, 12-month term is something like 7 to 10%. And so um, there you are at uh, four to five times an annual return, uh, annual return of the entire market uh, being expressed in the energy sector in just half a year. And why is that? Well, it's because of an inflation that's on that's being expressed across uh, various commodities and can be seen uh, in all sorts of sectors of the market. I mentioned uh, in the beginning of the podcast that, you know, only the third company ever um, just reached a $2 trillion market cap. So Apple uh, and Saudi Aramco were the first two companies that reached a $2 trillion market cap. And now Microsoft has uh, reached a $2 trillion market cap, you know, I remember when the first company hit a trillion dollar market cap and here we are with three companies at a two trillion dollar market cap. This speaks to the uh, inflated number of dollars in the system and the way that they um, manifest in the stock market. I mean, you've got an S&P that has basically been going straight up for 10 years as there's been a loose money policy pursued by the government and Federal Reserve on the back of the uh, global financial crisis all the way back in uh, 2008. And all these dollars are manifesting in uh, all sorts of places, right? Um, stocks at record highs with um, stretched valuations and uh, cryptos, uh, Bitcoin at $65,000 and oil at two and a half year highs and uh, copper at 10-year highs and gold hitting all-time highs uh, last year. So in a very real way, this inflation is manifesting. You're seeing uh, collectibles sell at, at record prices, whether that's uh, paintings or sculptures, even sculptures of nothing, as we chronicled on this podcast several weeks ago, where uh, um, an empty box sold for, I think, uh, $18 million. And so uh, the inflation is on in a very real way, of course, also being expressed in the housing market, as you see, um, housing prices rise at their fastest rate in, in 17 years and, and bidding wars emerge in multiple markets for housing across the world with um, homes being sold above asking price, uh, with inspections Um waived and first time and homeowner and home buyers seeking houses at the the lower end of the spite the, the pricing spectrum are being uh priced out and of course that real estate inflation is being driven by other things not just the money in the system but um, other fundamental shifts like uh, people being able to work from home and therefore uh, live wherever they want and you'll see places that reflect that like bozeman montana for example being one of the top five fastest growing uh, real estate markets in the U.S. right now, because um, I mean, to put it in a, in a neat box, people say California money moving into Montana, and that's it to some extent, but there's other money moving into Montana as well. People are uh, more mobile now. And so, um, you know, real estate is coming on as, as one of the better performing sectors of the market was one of the, the things I wanted to touch on in this podcast. Um, 
you know, we've had this energy inflation for the past, call it seven months, I guess. Uh, I was having readers get long the SPDR, Energy Select uh, Fund, the XLE last November, and then rotating into the Explorers, uh, Oil and Gas Explorers and Producers Fund, the, the XOP in May. And we've done quite well. As I said, energy has been the best performing sector of the market, but real estate now starting to come on uh, quite strong. You know, it's the third worst real estate as evidenced by a uh, stock sector and S&P sectors, the third worst performing sector over the past year. But if you look at the past three months, it's the uh, second best performer. And so the real estate sector is starting to come on strong, not just because of uh, rising home prices, like I just said, but also because of uh, a bit of a reopening trade uh People thinking that uh, whatever retail space or office space is going to come back to life. And then uh, also a bit of wealth inequality there as, you know, if people are being priced out of the the home buying market, then they're forced into a a rental situation. And you can certainly buy uh, stocks or or REITs that uh, own manufactured housing units and 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 affordable housing units, for example. And I think that would be one smart way to play this continued uh, real estate uh, inflation and that's being caused by cheap money policy, which is exacerbating wealth inequality, which is driving more renters. And so that's how you take things that are um, real, you know, real trends in the market that are happening, not fake animal videos and uh, pricing the square footage of streets, but you know, taking those real trends of um, wealth inequality and uh, a nation on the move to uh, put that to use in the in the stock market and uh, backing it up with real data, like I just said about um, the six month year to date and three month performance of those respective sectors. And so, you know, another way that this inflation is being borne out is in um, alternative assets. I mentioned. Bitcoin at going to 65,000 and then uh, pulling back a little bit. But uh, the collectibles market in in general has been on fire. Everything from uh, Magic the Gathering cards and Pokemon cards selling at records to uh, rare baseball cards holding their value and 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 even being uh, auctioned off uh, for millions of dollars now being combined with uh, NFT components for example, and um, still paintings uh, being sold at at records and holding their value. And uh, of course, classic uh, coins holding their value and and not just um, these alternative assets themselves, but, you know, in the market as well. And that's I wanted to talk about this for a second. There was a company called Collectors Universe um, that was founded or co-founded by a friend of the podcast and a, and, a, and a friend of Daily Profit Cycle, Van Simmons, that was recently sold to an investor group led by uh, Steve Cohen for something nearing a, a billion dollars. Um, it was a stock listed on you know major exchange. The ticker was uh, CLCT, if memory serves. And um that stock was able to to be bought out here in the in the past twelve months um, as a symptom of or as an effect uh, an effect of that inflating collectibles market right that uh, big money then wants in on and I guess what I'm uh, the point I would uh, want to make is that 
Um, contrarian money is in like ahead of that. Van would be a perfect example of, uh, you know, seeing where the collectibles market was going and having the wherewithal uh, to stick through it until, um, you know, the end game ultimately ultimately played out, right? These alternative assets, these collectibles, and a company that is a sort of a gatekeeper to that market because um, they grade so much of it uh, becomes valuable enough that it's taken out by the quote unquote uh, smart money for a, a multi hundred million or, or billion dollar valuation. And and I guess what sparked my memory to, to talk about that in this podcast is that I saw an article last week about how the uh, Blackstone Investment Group just bought a stake in a company called uh, Certified Collectibles and is being joined by Jay-Z in doing so. And that's sort of my first take on that is, you know, they're coming to that market at a, I don't want to say a top, but but certainly late, right? So a contrarian comes to it ahead of time as evidenced by Collector's Universe, which I uh, just opined on. Um, and then, you know, there's not many in investments in a space like that. And if that's one of the sectors that is um, being buoyed by this inflation and one of the sectors where, you know, money is uh, going to hide from inflation, right, to own these alternative assets, then it also becomes a, a flavor of the day in the stock market, as evidenced by uh, the buyout of Collector's Universe and this investment I just mentioned by Blackstone in uh, certified collectibles. So um, I guess I'll talk about cryptos a little bit on the back of that, because um, an important part of the collectibles market, or maybe important is not the, the right word, but a growing component of the collectibles market is certainly the um, in the realm of the blockchain and the non-fungible tokens or the uh, NFTs. And, you know, it's in the way these uh, digital uh, properties, whether that's a video of an athlete or a picture of an athlete or... Um, simply the ownership of a physical item as recorded on the blockchain, this um, cryptoverse is, is increasingly playing a market in the collectible space. And you'll see um, companies like um, Tops, for example, the famous uh, baseball card company recently IPOing via a SPAC, um, the Mudrick Capital Corp, I believe it's called, trading under the ticker MUDS. Um clearly reflecting that trend in the market, just like I said, the, you know, collector's universe buyout trend is reflecting this in the market. And so the alternative assets, um, the collectibles continue to hold their value because you can't make more of them in the, in a similar way that you can't make more bitcoins. And in a similar way that something etched and stored, um, and secured or tokenized on the blockchain can't be duplicated and everyone knows who owns it. And, I guess a little bit more on crypto, uh, because a couple of weeks ago, I spent some time talking about um, why people were telling me they were owning crypto. Uh, and I want to get back to that uh, just a, a little bit, I think, because um, I spent some time with a gentleman last week who uh, made a significant amount of money, six figures on Dogecoin. And, and he was explaining to me a little bit about the altcoin universe and you know, why he owns some of the, the coins he does. And some of the sentiments were reflective of, um, 
you know, really my independent nature, why I founded the Outsider Club all those years ago and, and some of the things I started this podcast with, namely uh, being jaded with the system, uh, quote unquote, you know, knowing that the system is uh, rigged, being too late to build an asset base that can uh, appreciate fast enough or in time for a secure retirement and um, the independent nature of cryptocurrencies and that they're separate from the government. And um, of course, the propensity to start from a, a very low base, you know, with uh, altcoins like SafeMoon, for example, trading with a dot and then several zeros in front of the first number, right? So the chance to um, multiply your wealth quite quickly as a, a Altcoin goes from 0 0.001 to 0 0.01, just as a random example. But um, there's also ways, I think, to do that in the market. And so I'd just take the, like the collectibles that I just talked about or um, the real estate that I mentioned. You know, they're not making any more Honus Wagner cards, just the same way as um, the housing stock is uh, not easy to duplicate, right? Only a certain number of houses are built every year because it's a hard asset, just like there's only so many ounces of uh, gold mine each year. And so um, I understand that all that philosophy behind cryptocurrency, and I'm certainly an owner uh, of Bitcoin. I, in fact, I was recommending to premium readers to buy Bitcoin below $1,000 as far back as 2013. So I certainly uh, get that market, but I don't think it's the market. Like, I don't think cryptos overtake everything. I don't think cryptos are the only way to invest, certainly. And I think still that the people who've um, pioneered that space and People like the gentleman who I talked to last week, they've had a great amount of success and well done and kudos. But I think there's, you know, still a lot to learn, for example, uh, trends and cycles within cryptocurrencies and how human behavior affects that. And, you know, why you should take profits at $65,000 Bitcoin and look to buy in a bit uh, lower because things don't just go straight up and they have to consolidate and pull back and sell off, and, et cetera. And so... You know, I think cryptos are going to be a, a firm piece of the uh, financial market going forward for their uh, transactional value and their ability to track things uh, across uh, supply chains. But, you know, I don't think it's the uh, only way to invest. And I, I think, again, they still have uh, a lot to learn. And I think that the people who are only invested in crypto uh, will diversify into other things, either as they take gains off the table or as, you know, it eventually plays out that, you know, all these altcoins uh, aren't going to uh, make it and money starts uh, going to money heaven. So I guess just quickly on real estate, um, I touched on it for a second, but I would be keen to, to look at some uh, real estate sectors, uh, REITs, especially on the affordable uh, housing side of things. And I'm doing so in uh, foundational profits this month, making a recommendation. And 
I guess the last thing I would wrap up is uh, on gold and real estate. And so um, gold is, I'll be Gerardo for a second, boring right here. It's trading below 1800. It's in fact down for the year at the halfway point, some uh, 8% and um, just generally out of favor. But I, I guess what I would submit is that um, if you look at the money supply, like the M2 money supply over the past couple of years, gold has kept precise pace with it. And so um, is very much doing its job as an inflation hedge of something like uh, 30% commensurately with the expansion of the money supply. But other sectors, real estate, energy, cryptos, for example, have simply inflated uh, faster. And, and so capital has gone there and gold has uh, cooled off from its record and the equities have cooled off along with it. That's not to say that uh, gold isn't still in a, in a secular uh, bull market and that uh, prices won't go back up, but it's just uh, not being uh, looked to as an in sector right now, right? The way even uh, collectibles, for example, are. And so uh, in that respect, something to take a look at from a, a contrarian perspective, because there's lots of um, good values out there in the gold space. And so um, I just wanted to wrap up on uh, perpet Perpetua Resources. I guess that's how you say it, Perpetua Resources, the old Midas Gold uh, because I've seen some questions coming in and I've covered the company for so long that uh, uh, it's, it, it's only right to spend a couple of minutes mentioning the, the permitting here. So I don't have the most recent press release in front of me, though. I guess I could pull it up real quick. But essentially, uh, Midas Gold was a Perpetua Resources was expecting a, a record, a draft record of decision from the U.S. Forest Service for its Stibnite a gold project in Idaho that the, the draft record of decision was supposed to come out Q3 2021, which is this quarter that we just entered. And um, the company just put out a press release saying the Forest Service has updated a timeline, which they've done uh, over the years. This process started uh, with the submission of, uh, you know, their plan of operations when it was Midas back in 2016. So five years ago, and the draft decision was supposed to come this quarter and it's been pushed back. It's been pushed back until um, Q4 2022. So instead of Q3 2021, we now get a draft record of decision in Q4 2022, pushed back by a year. The stock actually... Uh, traded up on this news. The news has only been out for a couple of days, so we'll see if that lasts. But what the Forest Service has said, and I think it's it's actually a positive, albeit it's going to take another year, is that you know they've decided to move forward with only the one plan uh, that Midas or Perpetua put forward uh, last December. So they've decided on uh, the current modified. Uh, plan. And that's the one that they'll be seeking another round of comment on, which is why it gets uh, delayed or pushed back by another year. But the upside is that, you know, we're not considering any other alternatives now. Uh, the government is only uh, considering the plan that the company wants as the best plan to develop the mine. And so it seems like uh, this next round of commenting that has pushed the record of decision back is a formality just to allow public comment, but that this is the plan that we're going with. It's of course a giant gold resource would be one of the 
largest, highest grade, lowest cost open pit gold mines in the United States. In the United States, there's exploration upside, and of course, there's an antimony uh, credit, which is um, a critical element that's crucial for um, alternative and, and clean industries that the U.S. produces none of. So, continuing to think that this project is going to get approved. Uh, the market thinks so as well as is evidenced by the knee-jerk reaction, trading shares higher because the government's only focused on this uh, one plan of operations now. And um, Perpetua essentially becomes a, a proxy for the price of uh, gold, which it sort of was already, but now with uh, it was expecting a catalyst in the near term. Now the catalyst is out another year. And so um, it's one way to buy gold with leverage is, is how uh, I'm looking at this, right? If we get continued blood in the streets and gold, a pullback to 1700, for example, uh, breaking down of the current consolidation, then Midas would be uh, something you would uh, accumulate as a long-term uh, and levered play for the, the resumed bull market in gold. But um, disappointing to see a, a delay, of course, um, but I think this is truly the light at the end of the tunnel now and that, you know, we know how the project is going to uh, be developed going forward. And so uh, that's it for gold and for uh, Perpetua Resources. And that's it for me at the uh, 30 minute mark. I hope everyone had a, a relaxing couple of days off for Canada Day and the uh, fourth. I hope everyone had a productive first half of uh, 2021 and um Certainly ready to get back to it in the in the second half here, both from a market and investment perspective and from a, a, a traveling perspective, starting to take a bit more uh, travel for not only flights, uh, personal vacation, but uh, site visits and conferences as well. So I uh, hope to see some of you out there in the second half of 2021. That's it for episode 124 of Bizarro World.